Well, let us continue in worship this morning and let's turn our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, verse 16. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you in freedom. We thank you for the fact that we can be here and celebrate your power over sin, hell, death, and Satan. And now help us to worship you in spirit and in truth as we look to your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm very sorry for that. It was clearly not my intention to offend anyone. The worst thing that I can do as a human being is be offensive. These are the words of a professor at a California medical school that I read in an article someone sent me this week. But why, you may ask, was this professor so apologetic? What could he possibly have said that would have been deemed as offensive by his audience? Well, listen to the professor explain in his own words, and I quote, I said, when a woman is pregnant, which implies that only women can get pregnant. And I most sincerely apologize to all of you. We live in a world in which the truth, even in its most self-evident form, is considered to be offensive. And when this happens at a more collective level, say, at the level of schools, colleges, universities, social media, and even government, then the next step is to create an atmosphere, an entire culture, in fact, in which lies and false narratives become normative and truth gets silenced and even shamed. But in essence, this is nothing new. It's nothing new. Thousands of years ago, the Spirit of God revealed this very truth to the Apostle Paul as recorded for us in the second letter to young pastor Timothy. And I'm going to ask you to turn there with me. Second Timothy chapter four, and we will read verses three and four. There is much for us to learn out of these few verses this morning. These words are packed full of extremely relevant truth for our day and age. Consider how the spirit of God inspired the apostle Paul. Second Timothy four, three to four. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to what? The truth and wander off into myths. A few observations. Notice that in these verses, Paul equates sound teaching with the truth and the myths to which people will run are in accordance with their passions, with their passions. Sound teaching equals truth. Myths are based on passions. 
these myths that replace the truth then are not necessarily a reference to mythological stories such as the clash of the titans. Rather, these myths are based on disorderly passions and fleshly desires. These myths that Paul has in mind are not just a reference to human creative imagination, but to man-made narratives and ideas that are conducive to the unleashing of evil conduct and practices which are consistent with unregenerate passions. It was John Adams, one of the founding fathers of this nation, who, speaking about power as a corrupting force, said in a letter, and I quote, power naturally grows. Why? Because human passions are insatiable. End quote. Adam was right. Human passions are, in fact, insatiable. And when human passions become unfettered from truth, they begin to lead the way in the formation and promotion of false ideas that justify their uninhibited actualization. And this, my brothers and sisters, is what we are seeing take place today before our very eyes. The truth is being silenced and for the sake of false narratives, many of which are the product of human passions gone berserk. And when human passions take precedence over truth, meaning objective, biblical, and authoritative truth, societies begin to self-destroy. They will self-destroy. As one political commentator said in the 1960s, and I quote, no society can preserve constitutional government or even prevent dissolution unless in practice it holds certain truths to be, if not literally self-evident, then at any rate unalterable and not subject to the changing will of the popular majority or of any human authority, end quote. Insightful words, indeed, from a person living in the 1960s. How much more do we need them today? When a society abandons truth, devastation ensues. This is especially true when the leaders of a nation at the very top betray the truth. Listen to Proverbs 29, verse 12. If a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked. Falsehood spreads. And we're seeing that today. Consequently, speaking the truth with our neighbor and abstaining from bearing false witness is becoming increasingly difficult for us believers today. All of which reminds us of what Charles Spurgeon said, and I quote, the spotless purity of truth must always be at war with the blackness of heresy and lies, end quote. My brothers and sisters, in case you have forgotten, we are at war. This is a war. And if we truly are in a spiritual battle, then we can't live our lives expecting the world to welcome the truth. We simply can't. I am sure no soldier 
Whoever fought in a war went into the battlefield expecting the enemy to welcome him with a hug or a high five. No, soldiers go into the battlefield and they don't expect a welcoming committee. Rather, they expect to get shot at. They anticipate wounds. They know pain is a real possibility. So the central question for us as we look at the ninth commandment is this. Are we willing to live by the truth and nothing but the truth, whatever the cost? Are you willing to live by the truth and nothing but the truth, whatever the cost might be? I don't believe answering that question in the affirmative has ever been more costly to Christians living in this country. My friend, living by the truth will cost you. It will cost you. Now, I bring all these introductory remarks to your attention to say this. You can't overestimate the importance and relevance of the ninth commandment to our modern context. And I just have a few highlights, observations to make regarding this commandment. And I hope this is helpful to you. The first one is this. We're going to go to the basics. Number one, if you're following the notes, the ninth commandment presupposes the reality of absolute truth. The ninth commandment presupposes the reality of absolute truth. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Please notice with me that those nine words make absolutely no sense whatsoever if there is no such thing as absolute truth. Or to put it differently, the ninth commandment exists because absolute truth exists. How do we know this? Well, the answer is simple. The only possible way to identify what false witnessing entails is by having an absolute standard against which to measure any and all statements made from our lips. If you remove that absolute and authoritative standard, then nothing can be deemed as being false. In fact, the very word false indicates the absolute necessity of the existence of that which is true. Isn't it incredible? Isn't it incredible that we live in a world in which this needs to be clarified? Now, what is the immediate implication of this? Well, let me tell you what it is. The ninth commandment strongly indicates that truth is over us as an authority and that therefore truth is not whatever we want it to be. We cannot make up our own truth as we go along the path of life. We are born into a world in which truth already exists. And our duty is to submit to it rather than create it to our own liking. If this is not the case, then obeying the ninth commandment becomes an impossibility. Now, I will show you what that point is so important when we get to point number three. For now, let's go into point number two. The ninth commandment requires a practical commitment to the truth. The ninth commandment requires a practical commitment to the truth. By a practical commitment, I mean a commitment that affects how I live at the personal level and also at the interpersonal level. In other words, a practical commitment to the truth means that my orthodoxy, the truth I believe, will determine my orthopraxis. 
the things I do. One of the best examples of what happens when we disconnect truth from practice is the Apostle Paul. As recorded for us in the book of Galatians. Some of you may remember the story of what happened with the Apostle Paul one day. I'm sorry, Peter. One day Peter got in trouble with the Apostle Paul. Do you remember that story? And Paul had to confront him. Peter, as a Jewish man, was being tempted to show partiality to Christians who were not Jewish. Meaning, Gentile Christians. The pressure coming from what Paul referred to as the circumcision party, also known as the Judaizers, became too much for Peter to bear. Consequently, Peter succumbed to the fear of men. And he distanced himself from his Gentile brothers and sisters in order to please the Jewish party. Paul, seeing this, confronted Peter and all those who fell for this temptation. Listen to how Paul explained the situation. But when I saw that their conduct, did you hear that? But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, did you catch that? Their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. That's how Paul summarized the whole issue. In short, Peter's actions or action of distancing himself from the Gentiles was sinful because it was a denial of the truth of the unity accomplished by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? We're following the, the logic is very simple. In other words, Peter disobeyed the imperative to walk in unity because Peter denied the indicative that unity has been accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, at least in a very indirect way, I believe Peter was bearing false witness against Gentile Christians because his conduct toward them was based on a falsehood about them, not on the truth as it is in Jesus. Thus, I want to make the point from this example of Peter. We understand that bearing false witness happens when we speak or act in ways that are contrary to what we know to be the truth. So yes, I believe both our words as well as our actions fall under the ninth commandment. Now, let's go into the, the heart of all this. Most of us understand that the ninth commandment does prohibit sins such as slander, gossip, lying in general, etc. The ninth commandment clearly focuses on sins of the tongue. We must, not, we must not use our tongue as a carrier of falsehoods and lies regarding our neighbor. So it's a highly relational commandment. But I want to push this a bit further. I want to push this a bit further. I want to address things that might not be as obvious to us, at least not at first. I want to help us see why the ninth commandment holds such practical relevance for us today as we live life in this fallen world as Christians. So here's point number three. The ninth commandment demands the practice of courageous love. The ninth commandment demands the practice of courageous 
love. Let me see if I can explain. I have mentioned many, many times during this series on the Ten Commandments that when we enter into the second table of the law, we are dealing with the sphere of love for neighbor. The first four commandments were about what? Love God. And the second six commandments are about love for neighbor. So commandments five through 10 are summed up in the words, love your neighbor as yourself. Since this is indeed the case, then we can understand that love for neighbor, listen to this, love for neighbor can never be divorced from truthful speech. Love for neighbor can never be divorced from truthful speech. That in and of itself tells you what the problem with society is today. They're trying to divorce the two. It cannot be done. There is no such thing as lying love. It does not exist. The moment truth is abandoned in any relationship, love ceases to be present. Let me provide you an example of how truth and love relate to one another. Listen to this, that God created male and female, that God created male and female is the truth that provides the framework within which real marital love can actually take place. Do you follow what I'm saying? Thus, marital love only happens within the confines of sexual truth. The true, the two cannot be separated. If you go outside the confines of truth regarding sexuality, you will sacrifice love regarding marriage. Now you're beginning to see why I'm also using the word courageous next to love. You're beginning to understand what I mean by courageous love. The word courageous is a reference to the fact that loving people with the truth is becoming increasingly difficult. Why? Listen to this. Don't miss this because more and more people are wanting us to bear false witness against them. It is a complete reversal. They want us to speak falsely about them. Let me give you some practical examples of how our culture is forcing us to break the ninth commandment first. And as I already mentioned, homosexual marriage, homosexual marriage. What the culture is beginning to force on us is the acceptance of homosexual unions as legitimate marriages. But I submit to you that Christians cannot do that without bearing false witness against the people involved. You can't. The ninth commandment is one of the many, many reasons I believe no Christian should go to a homosexual wedding. Let me explain. Out of the example of Peter, I said that we can break the ninth commandment both in words, but also in actions. Why? Because actions are also a witness of some sort. The fact that you are here means the world can think of you as a Christian, right? You believe the things that you're hearing. You hold to this book as true. Well, actions are a witness of some sort. When you go to any wedding, 
you are making a statement regarding the people in question. You are affirming something about them. You are bearing witness. That witness, however, would be based on something that is false. Two people of the same sex cannot be married because truth does not permit this union. Once again, please understand that all these narratives that are taking place in the world today, in our society, are made in direct opposition to the ninth commandment. Now, you want more examples? Some of you don't want more examples. You're uncomfortable enough. But we do this because we love God and we love people. Here's another example. Critical race theory. Why this one? Well, critical race theory is fundamentally opposed to the ninth commandment. For it is built upon the false idea that skin color determines who we are. That is a false idea. It is a false idea. Critical race theory is about making judgments about people through generalizations and labeling them in a certain way without even knowing who they are. Therefore, if you look a certain way, you are an oppressor. If you look a certain way, you are oppressed. This is bearing false witness. Why? It is not dealing with people on the basis of the truth concerning them, but only upon the basis of narratives that are being imposed on everyone. Be careful what you support. You may find yourself bearing false witness. We must relate to people on the basis of truth, not false generalizations. Another problem with critical race theory that stands contrary to the ninth commandment is that it promotes something called standpoint epistemology. How many of you thought of that word this morning? I wonder what a standpoint epistemology is. Standpoint epistemology. Epistemology is a word that has to do with knowledge. It's a reference to knowledge and truth. Standpoint epistemology claims that truth and knowledge lie within the individual experience, not in an absolute standard. For example, I'm going to put myself as an example because I don't want to put anyone else on the spot. I am a Hispanic male. True? Yes. I was born in Chile. I'm a Hispanic male. My experiences as are mine and mine alone. You cannot know my truth. You cannot know the truth I know because if you are not me, you don't have access to my truth. Therefore, the only thing you can do is shut up and learn from me. Yeah, that's what standpoint epistemology means. My knowledge is my knowledge and my truth is my truth. You can't do anything about it. Anything about it. According to standpoint epistemology, you can never speak authoritatively to me because my truth is my truth. So who are you to tell me what is false? You have no right. It is my truth. If this is correct and truth and knowledge lie within the individual experience, then I can never I can never break the ninth commandment because I will always be right about what I say about you. I cannot break it. You see how dangerous this is. Here's another example 
We're going to keep going, brothers and sisters. Subjectivized personal identity. Subjectivized personal identity. I don't know that subjectivized is an actual word, is it? Sounds good, so I used it. Now, there are people in our society that want to be called whatever pronoun they choose for themselves. Have you heard of that? This is breaking the ninth commandment, for it forces you to speak falsely about a person's true identity, meaning they want you to affirm things about them that do not correspond to the truth. The idea of calling someone whatever pronoun they want, one that directly denies their reality, is breaking the ninth commandment. Since the Bible says to not bear false witness, but to speak the truth with our neighbor, then at a basic, basic level, using the pronoun that corresponds with reality is a must. Is a must. Why? Well, human reality as created by God consists of male and female only. This basic notion regarding human genders must rule our treatment of them. In connection to this, let me also say, let me also say that language is also God's creation. Language is also God's creation. Thus, both language and gender are both subject to the lordship of God because only God has the prerogative to create both of them and determine their use. The he pronoun corresponds to the male gender. And the she pronoun corresponds to the female gender. Language reality and gender reality must correspond. If you disconnect the true, you are bearing false witness. Obviously, the same applies to transgenderism. If you call or treat a biological female as though she was a male, then you would be bearing false witness against her. You have no right to do that. Now, the final example that I have for you is abortion. Abortion. Obviously, the practice of abortion, the practice of abortion is a sin against the sixth commandment, which says, you shall not, what? Murder. You shall not murder. However, the endorsement and acceptance of abortion is a sin against the ninth commandment. Why? Abortion is rooted in a false witness against our neighbor. What is that false witness? That the baby in the womb is not a person. When we support, when we endorse, and when we promote abortion, we are bearing false witness against our most vulnerable neighbors. And we break the ninth commandment. Christians cannot participate. They cannot participate without breaking the ninth commandment. So let me give you some basic applications. The first one is this, we must know before we speak. In other words, we must speak factually rather than impulsively. Sometimes we break the ninth commandment by making comments and assertions that are based on an emotional impulse rather than on facts. 
As Christians, we must live upon and by the truth. This means we must be careful with our statements and make sure what we say is in conformity with the way things really are. This is God's world. Truth is God's truth. The second thing is this, the second basic application. We must never compromise truth for the sake of cultural accommodation. We must never compromise truth for the sake of cultural accommodation. Remember how I said that it's going to cost you? Yeah, it's coming to that point, that point in which it's going to begin to cost you. At this juncture, I need to remind us of our calling. We are truth bearers. We don't bear false witness. We bear the truth. We take it with us. Don't forget this critical point. What, let me ask you this, what sets people free? Jesus said it, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If the truth is that which sets people free, then to accommodate the truth for the sake of cultural acceptance is to betray the truth itself and to show contempt for the souls of men. People who are trapped in lies will ultimately die in their sins without Christ and without hope. You might just be the only truth many people will hear and see. It might come from you. A compromise on the truth is a death sentence for the world. A compromise on the truth is a death sentence for the world. And number three, we must live all of life according to the truth. You see, the, the, the ninth commandment is, is not only about abstaining, and we've learned this about all the commandments, right? It's about living according to the truth. Notice how the ninth commandment is worded. You shall not bear false witness. Bearing has the sense of carrying. Therefore, we must bear the truth or carry the truth with us at all times and in all places. Truth must affect everything about us. This means you must be careful with the sin of compartmentalization. Good luck writing that word. Compartmentalization. What is that? Is when we think we can divide our lives into different compartments. Notice that. We can divide our lives into different compartments. My faith in Jesus being just one of those compartments. Then I have my political views. Then I have my views on education, my views on society, my views on sexuality, my views on entertainment, my views on work, my views on family, etc., etc., etc. It is all compartmentalized. The sin of compartmentalization is when we say this, gospel truth is over here, everything else about my life is over there. In other words, Jesus is among the compartments of my life. He has his rightful place, but when it comes to my everyday life and decisions, I am my own boss. That is a sin, brothers and sisters. Let me tell you why. It is a sin to rob Christ of what is rightfully his, meaning your entire life. Your entire life. All of you. You belong, everything about you belongs to Christ Jesus. He has prerogative and authority over everything you do. Jesus is not just another compartment of your life. He is above 
everything in your life. This means that if your political views, if your views on sexuality, etc., etc., are in contradiction to the truth of Christ Jesus, you are breaking the ninth commandment because it is all about truth. So let me give you some uh, things to watch for as we go into the world and live according to the truth. Things to watch for. What I'm about to mention are enemies of truth. These things wage war against living for and according to the truth. Therefore, you must watch for these and be cautious. The first one is this, the fear of man. The fear of man. I would not be preaching if I lived under the fear of man. I can't. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. I'm safe. I'm safe by telling you the truth, trusting in God. I'm safe. One of the things I love about Proverbs is that they explain important truths using contrast. Like in this proverb, the fear of men is set against trusting the Lord. Therefore, the fear of men is to believe a lie. What lie? That your safety comes from men. But when you believe that, you're walking straight into a snare, a dangerous trap. The fear of man is an enemy to walking in the truth because it operates by intimidation. It works like this. If I hold on to that truth or this truth, will I lose that friend? Will he or she get mad at me? Will I risk too much? Watch out for the fear of men. It will wage war against your willingness to live for and by the truth. The second thing to watch for is related to the fear of men. And it is this sinful craving for worldly acceptance. Watch for this, my friend, sinful craving for worldly acceptance. I'm especially thinking about those of you who are getting ready to go off to college. Oh, watch for this sinful craving for worldly acceptance. Proverbs 23, 23 says, Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy truth and do not sell it. Let me explain in just a few words how Satan will tempt you and me during these changing and challenging times. When truth gets ostracized, marginalized, and oppressed, the stage is set for Satan to come in and make you an offer. He will come in and he will make you an offer. What is that offer? Get rid of that truth and I will give you the world's acceptance. Get rid of that truth and you will keep your friends. You will keep everything you care for. At bottom, this is rooted in a love for the world. When the vice begins to infiltrate the heart is when we start paying attention to those temptations. Some of you may recognize the name Demas. Demas. Demas was the name of a man who had all the marks of faithfulness to the truth. Demas uh, was there when the apostle Paul wrote two of his letters, namely Colossians and Philemon. Paul even calls Demas, my fellow worker. Demas was a man who at some point in his life was a defender, promoter, and lover of the truth. As I said, he had all the marks of faithfulness, but then something happened with Demas in second Timothy chapter four, verse 10, Paul writes Demas 
in love with this present world has deserted me. Don't miss the reason why Demas deserted Paul. He was in love with this present world. My brothers and sisters, mark my words. Please listen to this carefully. Nothing will pull you away from living by the truth than love for for this present world. Why? If you harbor a secret love for this present world, when the truth gets too costly, you will be another Demas and walk away from the truth. Watch out for that. And finally, I'll leave you with, with two things to cultivate. What to cultivate? Number one, a deeper sense of dependence on God. If you want to live by the truth, honor the truth in your life, you must develop or cultivate a deeper sense of dependence on God. By, by that, I mean two things. Number one, you have to come to grips with the reality that unless God opens people's eyes to the truth, they will remain in darkness and they will oppose it. God is sovereign. God is sovereign over people's hearts and minds. We are not. Christ is building the church, not we. The second thing that I mean by that is this. You must depend upon God's word, not your own mind. Consider with me the words of Proverbs 28, 26. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Once again, did you notice, notice the contrast? Trusting one's own mind is opposite to walking in wisdom. When do we get in trouble? When do we get in trouble? We get in trouble when we try to manipulate modify or alter the truth for the sake of accommodation instead of accepting the truth for what it is and trusting it, trusting it. Don't ever seek to modify God's truth for the sake of personal convenience, but always trust God's truth and leave all the consequences to him because he cares for you and for your soul. And finally, the second thing you need to cultivate is this a greater love for Christ and his kingdom. We cannot play games with the faith. We cannot play games with the faith, brothers and sisters. Why must you develop a greater love for Christ and his kingdom? For two simple reasons. First, he is the truth. Jesus is the truth. Only he has the words of eternal life outside of Christ. There is only darkness. Second, the second reason is this. The excellency of Christ. The excellency of Christ outshines all this world has to offer. You know what the most dangerous temptation for a Christian is living in this world? The most dangerous temptation a Christian faces in this world is the temptation to attribute greater excellency and worth to anything other than Christ. Many times, the embracing of lies heresies and false narratives are simply the product of people wanting something more than they, than they want Christ. By God's grace, Paul was not that man. He was not that man. In Philippians chapter three, verses four through 11, the apostle gives us a list of the things he gave up 
when he realized that each one of them paled in comparison to what he had in Christ. What are some of the things that he left behind? Well, he tells us first an enviable lineage. He belonged to the tribe of Benjamin. Number two, an astonishing educational reputation. He was a Pharisee. Number three, a culturally acceptable pursuit. He was a persecutor of the church. And fourth, an extraordinary religious record. He says, as to the law, I was blameless. In short, Paul had a resume that could have taken him to incredible places of authority, influence, and power. But one day, his eyes saw the resurrected Lord. And all these impressive experiences and all these achievements of his life quickly turn into scubalon. Scubalon. The ESV says rubbish. The King James Version gets closer. It says dung. The excellency of Jesus outshined everything Paul ever cared for. What is the application for us? Sometimes we lie because we want to preserve a friendship. Sometimes we bear false witness in order to keep a certain privilege. Sometimes we embrace a false narrative for the sake of social acceptance. But my brother and sister, what if by embracing these temporal things, you find yourself walking away from Christ? Would you trade your greatest treasure for a passing pleasure, a fleeting moment in a worldly ambition? Parents, what about our children? Have we considered them and what the world will look like when they become independent adults? Are we training them to love the truth as it is in Jesus? You will leave them no greater legacy than a love for the truth. At the beginning of the sermon, I asked this question. Are we willing to live by the truth and nothing but the truth? And then I said, it will cost you. And I believe it will. But of all the things you could lose in this world, because of the truth of Christ and his word, how many of them will you take with you into eternity? Here's the answer. None. None. But if you have Christ, him you will never lose. Neither in this life nor in the next. He is yours forever, believer. And you are his forever. We are at war. The prince of this world is spreading his influence like gangrene and the tolerance for truth is quickly fading. But Christian, take heart. Christ reigns above all things. His death bought our forgiveness. His resurrection secured our eternal life. Therefore, Christ will not fail his church. It doesn't matter who is and power. Christ reigns. Therefore, if today you're walking in any kind of lie, the call of Christ is to repent and to come to the truth. There is no hope apart from him. Today is the day of repentance. Today is the day of salvation. I leave you with the words of John Owen. But yet I must say with confidence that the eternal truth of God concerning the mystery of his wisdom, love, grace, and power in the person and mediation of Christ 
shall never be shaken by the utmost endeavors and oppositions of the gates of hell. Live by the truth, trust in the Lord, and leave all the consequences in his good hands. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your truth. Help us to live in the confidence that we are not the ones who make up the truth or can decide what the truth is, but the truth has been given to us in your word. We understand that we live in a world in which because of sin, we are being forced to bear false witness. But Father, help us to remain standing strong upon your truth, knowing that it cannot be shaken. And so Lord, create in us, in us a deeper longing to know more of your truth and to have our lives be in conformity to your truth. And may at the end of the ages, when everything is said and done, may Christ be exalted and the truth vindicated forever. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.